children why do we build the wall why do we build the wall we build the wall to keep us free that's why we build the wall we build the wall to keep us free how does a wall keep us free my children my children how does a wall keep us free how does the wall keep us free? The wall keeps out the enemy. We build the wall to keep us free. That's why we build the wall. We build the wall to keep us free. Who do we call the enemy? My children, my children. Who do we call the enemy? Who do we call the enemy? The enemy is poverty, and the wall keeps out the enemy. And we build the wall to keep us free. That's why we build the wall. We build the wall to keep us free. Because we have and they have not, my children, my children, because they want what we have got. Because we have and they have not Because they want what we have got The enemy is poverty And the wall keeps out the enemy And we build the wall to keep us free That's why we build the wall We build the wall to keep us free to raise a glass the podcast where we discuss the stories and storytellers that have shaped us i am hunter danson 
And I am Eric Lintola. Also known as uh, Hades in the cover of uh, Why We Build the Wall from Hades Town, which you have just listened to. And we have not because we have not actually recorded it yet. You may not have recorded it, but I have definitely already tried to sing it. And you might hear the pain in my voice (laughs) from (laughs) singing as Hades, especially at the end of that song. It is very hard to sing with the emotion. Oh, yeah. Just, and we'll get into this later, but the, 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 what's the right word? It's not anger. It's not even wrath. It's something more. It's like, uh, uh, self righteousness. Yeah. And, and the vitriol with Mm. which, he ends it. It's just right. It hits you to the core. Mm-hmm. Just doing a face like a, but ugh. okay. Well, we'll get into that. Okay. Whew. Yeah. What an so entrance. Yes. Hades town. I am so excited. I have wanted to do a Hades town for like the first time I listened to Hades town. I wanted to do it even before I had a podcast. <laughs> I wanted to well have before. a podcast about Hades Town. Yeah, <clears throat> you were bringing so, us up to me. What three years ago? Four years? Ago, more than that? Was it that long ago? <laughs> when did it come up? I don't even know when it came out. Twenty nineteen. I you were bringing up to me in. I remember in early pandemic time. Yeah, I guess so. Oof. That time. But before we get into that. Right. Before we continue that aspect of our conversation, Hunter, what is in your glass? I have uh, whole milk uh, and I have a frozen thin mint. Okay. To dip in my whole milk. How about you? Well, I just wanted to share on that. I, we had a friend that was sharing their favorite. Girl Scout cookie is the Samoa, of course, because it's the best. Unless they have frozen Thin Mints on hand. Oh. Specifically Thin Mints when they're frozen. I don't know if it's extra crunch or the... Yeah, no, they're they're more crunchy. Um, They seem to have more flavor. It's, It's kind of reminiscent of like an ice cream cookie. But it's not. It's a thin mint. But I, in my opinion, it it's like a thin mint squared. Um, okay, one times one, so it's equal to a thin mint. <laughs> one thin mint squared is still one thin mint. It's exponentially better. <laughs> so, if so you take the mints. factor of the thin mint's deliciousness, uh, when okay. you put the when you freeze the thin mint, it squares the factor of the thin mint's deliciousness. But the, the factor of the Thin Mint's deliciousness would just be one unit of that. So squaring it would still be one unit of deliciousness. Yeah. See, I wouldn't start with one, though. You could start with a different number. <laughs> You'd start with a tag along? It's exponentially <laughs> better. <That's... And> then... <laughs> Someone calculate the mathematical value of a Thin Mint. <laughs> and it's deliciousness <laughs> and it's deliciousness yeah two separate <laughs> what's in your glass eric 
this is a, the podcast of two sleep deprived dads. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, it is. Um, so my, my glass tonight is a combination of the, the soothe, the, the needed soothing of my voice from my first attempt at Hades combined with a little Hades himself. Mm. So I have a hot toddy, Ooh. orange juice. Um, the honey is, um, I think it's a wildflower honey. And instead of a regular rum or bourbon, I have a fire whiskey. Oh, wow. Evan Williams fire whiskey. So that was my attempt at adding a little Hades into the mix. Nice. That is significantly better than I thought it would be. <laughs> it's like a Hades mimosa. Wait, no, it's orange juice. Yeah, so I mean, it's a it's yeah. a Hades. It's a it's a hot Hades time. <laughs> hot Hades. <laughs> nope. Nope. <laughs> nope. <laughs> Not that. No. It's uh, Hades Toddies. <laughs> oh, I'm just going to call it a Hades Town. How about that? It's a, yeah. it's a Hades Town. It's a Hades Town. Official. Keep your head low. Well, are you, uh, before we get into Hades Town, are you raising your, your Hades Town or uh, pouring out your Hades town for anything this week. Actually, my raising and lowering are directly tied this week. Um so I we had absolutely beautiful weather here this weekend. Like it was stunning. Um went mm. for walks, played outside. I got to begin my garden, um planting some frost resistant seeds. Um We've got tulips that are showing up in the ground. We got um, hyacinths. We've got um, Lenten roses. Um, that's not. There's a botanical name for them. I can't remember. And and more and more and more. And it's just beautiful. I love. I love the. Um, oh, what are those trees called? Oh, there are some beautiful trees in bloom. It's just been wonderful, wonderful weekend mm. for weather. And then we fast forward to today, and it was snowing and is snowing. <laughs> and Hunter, I would like to tell you two pieces uh, that I am raising, lowering a glass, pouring one out for. There it is. Um, because of that. The first is, is allergies, and oh my mm. goodness, my body is just like not has no idea what to do right now. Like it just it I it doesn't know what to do. It's it's terrible, and so because of that, I've been trying to take some um, allergy medicine, and this mm. is the second part. And I was taking it on the last couple of days, and not today, but the two days beforehand, I was taking one, and I was talking to my wife afterwards. I was like, yeah. You know, I was kind of tired throughout the day, um, and it didn't seem to really be doing much. She's like, 
were you taking him from? And she na- named the specific thing. I was like, yeah. She's like, Eric, that's Benadryl. <laughs> and I was like, oh. <laughs> well, that makes sense as to why I was so sleepy. <laughs> it's like, I couldn't stay awake. Which <laughs> mm. made work really hard. Um and so I took the right one today, uh, and it lasted longer and was better, but still my body's like not, doesn't know what to do with this weather. Uh, so definitely re- pouring one out for just like, you know, you gave us spring, be spring. Mm. Just let it be. Come on, Persephone, just stay up <laughs> on top of the ground. Stop it, Hades. Yeah. Do you need me to sing? La 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 In harmony. La 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 Hades and Orpheus. <clears throat> Strengths in my Hades town. Feel better now. You might have heard some of those higher notes were harder for me. Yeah. <clears throat> Hunter, how about you? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to try and keep mine brief. <laughs> we got to get into this. Uh, but I do actually have two things to raise a glass to. Um, to match your two that you poured one out for. Um, one is uh, Solus OS. The ship has been righted. Uh, it's a nautically <laughs> themed, a lot of nautically themed branding on it. But um, they, a couple people came back uh, and uh, there's been an announcement about the future of it and a plan for the infrastructure and everything. So it's pretty, pretty exciting news um, for me and, and, and other people too. But um, <clears throat> I'm also racing a glass to Jim Henson uh, because he has invaded my life on two fronts. Uh, one is uh, my son has gotten into the show Dinosaur Train, um, which I don't know if you have ever heard Dinosaur Train. Dinosaur Train! Yeah, T-Rex, I'm a Tyrannosaurus. I'm the biggest carnivore in the Cretaceous Forest. T- yeah, so, yeah, that's that's a Jim Henson thing. Uh, I guess I don't, he didn't do all of it, but it's not really puppets. It's it's animated. It was like an animated PBS kids show. Um, and it's all right. It's very silly, but, you know, it's teaches you about dinosaurs and and he's really enjoying it um Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and the other is i just started watching the dark crystal Uh, i've watched the two episodes and i have absolutely loved them just gorgeous sets and character design i did see the original movie way back when okay um but the dark crystal is just uh it's like so uh whimsical (laughs) <laughs> um, 
And yet it's also like so epic and like, you know, serious fantasy too. Um, and it really kind of captures that feeling. And I recommended it to you, Eric, because it was a similar yes. feeling from like reading Wheel of Time, where it's like very, Ooh. it's like fun and whimsical, but it's also serious. Um, but it's great stuff. I really like it. Uh, and there's like a really great voice cast. Um, Mark Hamill's in there. Benedict Wong. Uh, Anya Taylor-Joy. Um, okay. Like a pretty star-studded cast. Yeah. Uh, those are big deals. Yeah. So um, Jim Henson. And I'm pouring one out for uh, just the ex- – not not parenthood because parenthood is wonderful, um, <laughs> but the exhaustion of being a parent, the side <laughs> one of the side effects is just uh, you know sometimes I just sit sit around at like two thirty and uh, stare into space. <laughs> I, I just don't want to get up and do anything. Um, but you know we, you have when you have a toddler. Um, He's always moving, uh, and now we have a newborn too to take care of. So it's uh, yeah, so it's a lot of energy um, <laughs> that is being extracted, but it is worth it. So yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> so Hades Town. So Hades Town. Actually, before we continue. I need to go get my playbill. I'll be right back. Oh, yes. Sorry, I forgot to grab that before we begin. (laughs) Why do we build the wall? My children, my children, why do we build the wall? <laughs> that is a less good version of what you heard earlier. Yeah. <laughs> it's a preview to past attractions. <laughs> yes, yes it is. So you so we'll start this up. You saw Hades Town live. I saw Hades Town live. Yes, I did. It was yeah. a joy. I saw it on uh what is it? Friday, March 17th. Hmm. I think that was, yeah. Was March 17th a Friday? I don't know. Now we're looking. Friday, March 17th at 8 p.m. at the Auditorium Theater, Rochester, New York. And oh my goodness. Hunter. Oh my goodness. Um, Let's just say it was so good. That our friend who came up to watch it with us, who's bigger musical fan and show fan than 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 I am, that we are together, Hunter. Mm. Um, you've met Trishel. She's one oh, of yeah. the coolest people ever. Mm-hmm. Um, she already had seen the show, maybe not live, but <clears throat> she'd seen it at some point, somehow. And she liked the enjoyed it so much that she went back two days later to watch it mm. again. And I, I couldn't, but I understood her 
<laughs> I would have. It was it was so good. I mean, right? Yeah. Yeah. I am jealous. Although hopefully this summer we we might get to see it on Broadway. So. Ooh, oh, that would be amazing. So not only did I see it, but you saw the picture of where I was sitting. Yeah. It was a very unique situation. So we upgraded our tickets. We were in, I think, the third row of the orchestra, but on the far side. <clears throat> so I could see two-thirds of the stage. But what I could see, I could see incredibly clearly. And so there are certain scenes in the show where some of the actors walk, like walked right towards me. Hmm. And we're like, I could, we could see their spit. Oh, wow. And like we could, we were making eye contact with them. And then there were other major pieces like where the train shows up mm-hmm. that I just couldn't see because of where I was sitting. I was yeah. sitting at the very end of the aisle too. Um, but if they didn't have mics, I still would, we still would have been able to hear the entire show. Yeah. Um, and there are so many things that I'll bring up from the show that I saw live probably throughout our conversation. Um, two pieces that I want to bring up now before we dive into what is Hades Town about. Um, the first, and this is always the first thing I pay attention to in a show, as a musician, as a mm. musician who loves playing in pit orchestras more than any other musical group, pretty much, um, is the pit. Um, and usually a pit orchestra is called a pit because it's below the stage. Um, the way the pit works in Hades town is that the members of the, the, the instrumentalists, the musicians are on stage with the actors. And so they are part of the set. Hmm. And there are a few shows that do that. And I love whenever a show does that because it just, to me, it makes it makes it clear that there's not a distinction between actors and musicians, mm. um, and, and it just worked so well with this show. And you will be glad to hear, because I was glad to experience that I was sitting in the space where I could directly see the double bass. Oh yeah, um, which and electric bass. So we played in both. Uh, it matters a lot to me. Mm. Uh, so that's the first one, and the second one is is a somewhat strange statement. I fully expect, I don't know how long it takes, but a couple years um, or so for this to be a musical that is done in high schools across the country Hmm. because it is so potent. It is so simple in many ways. Uh, And the way the set is designed and the actors and the characters are set up allows for a small or a large cast Hmm. to pull it off for, for a high school. Um, Yeah. And for a diversity of voices, um, which I find that somewhat unique because it's not just Hmm. huge over the top. Like you could do it with a pretty simple set design. Yeah. So those are the couple things I want to say. I, we will talk, we will bring (laughs) up more. Um, How did you have yeah, I think we should um, mention what Hades Town is about. <laughs> um, H- Hades Town is a, a musical written uh, 
by Aeneas Mitchell. Uh, it's based on the myth of Orpheus and Eurydice, <clears throat> which is a sad tale, a tale of love from long ago. And it was written long ago. Uh, so don't ask why. <laughs> don't ask why it ends the way it does. What happens? Um, spoilers. I mean, it's like a, it's a pretty old myth, old Greek myth. So yeah, it's a Greek tragedy. Greek tragedy. Um, Orpheus is Orpheus. The, he's the son of a muse, uh, and th- so he has musical gifts. He's a poet. Um, he's an artist, and he falls in love with Eurydice. Who uh, in Hades Town is is a hungry young girl, um, and, and Eurydice is a young girl. It's I don't think there's too much known about her. Um, my wife like, might correct me later. Yeah, um, but she, Eurydice dies. Uh, in some versions of the myth, myth she die, she is bitten by a rattlesnake on her wedding day. She gone. Um, yeah, hence the title of the song, Songbird versus Rattlesnake. Uh, uh, in Hades Town is a reference to that. What? Yeah. And yeah, other other ones, she just dies. It doesn't really say how. It, the important thing is that she dies. And Orpheus um, goes to the underworld to get her back. And he makes it to the Wait underworld. Um I'm coming soon. Yes. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> he makes it. And uh, Hades uh, says that he'll let him go, let him and Eurydice leave. But if she has to walk behind him, she can't hold his hand. And if he looks back, then Eurydice has to stay in the underworld forever. Before, if you As they're back walking before in. they both, before they both exit. Yeah, the and, and Orpheus looks back, and Eurydice like has right to stay before, there. Like the step before he walks into yeah, in the musical the world. Yeah, in the show, right in the, in the isn't it in the tragedy? Pretty soon. Uh, I'm not Is sure. I, I think it okay. it might depend on the version, but yeah, he looks back uh, and. <sighs> He stays there, and that's the tragedy, and that's the end, really. Um, there, there are versions um, where Orpheus, well, he, he doesn't have a happy life, obviously, because um, he has to live with the mistake that he's made. Uh, mm-hmm. But he also sings, and uh, one version, I think he sings a lot of sad songs, and um, the the Minads who are sort of um, what we know about them comes down through, I don't know exactly which scholar, but um, these women followers of Bacchus and um, the, uh, according to the, uh, you know, the source, which was probably written by a man, <laughs> that these, these women followers of Bacchus or the main ads uh, go into a Bacchic frenzy uh, and they, um, find they they're in one of these Bacchic frenzies. Bacchus is the god of wine and merrymaking, and probably all sorts of other stuff too. But um, they find Orpheus when when 
he they're in one of these Bacchic frenzies and they want him to play some happy music and some songs. And he says, no, I can't. Um, and they rip into pieces. Oh. So, you know, Orpheus might end up in the underworld <laughs> after that, but I don't know. So it just kind of ends. Um, and so that's the myth. And uh, Aeneas Mitchell tells the story of Orpheus and Eurydice against the backdrop of kind of like a depression era United States and uses the, the language of the depression um, and mixes, adds in, you know, Hades. The Greeks wouldn't think of it as, as the hell that we think of. It was, it was very different, but Aeneas Mitchell mm-hmm. uses that mythology and, and uh, weaves it into the, the lyrics and the show um, to have Hades, you know, the God of the underworld um, makes a deal with Orpheus kind of like, you know, the devil making it, making a deal with the devil and Orpheus signs a contract when they go out. And there's so many things. Yeah. There's so many levels of the show that mm-hmm. you're hitting. It's, it's amazing. It's amazing. Continue. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's, that's kind of the introduction uh, to Hades town. And I would recommend if you're, if you're interested, you don't want to have the whole thing spoiled and you don't want to listen to the rest of our two hour podcast or something. Um <laughs> And you just want to experience the show, like obviously the original Broadway cast recording, but they also did a um, NPR tiny desk concert on YouTube, mm. uh, which is wonderful because you can see all the cast and you see them interacting and stuff and they kind of introduce some of the songs. Um, and there's also, there's a Tony Awards performance of Wait For Me that's pretty good. Um, that can give you, they kind of have a little bit before that sets up the story. That's an intro, but honestly, I would just listen to the, the Broadway cast recording. Cause yeah. it's, I will fantastic. say that I don't think you can have the show ruined for you. I, I don't, I really don't yeah. think you can because it's clear from the very beginning of the show that it's a tragedy and the, right. the story is what you just told. Yeah. And it doesn't ruin. I think it helps actually. This might be one of the types of things where knowing that it's a tragedy helps. Um, yeah. And please, oh, please, oh, please, oh, please, oh, please. If you are listening to the recording of Town, especially if it's one of your first few listens, don't listen to it on shuffle. <laughs> Why would you do? Oh, don't. Musical on shuffle. Just listen to it straight through. And then... You know, maybe eventually if you want to throw it a shuffle just to have some fun with it, oh, go for that. Shuffle. But it's this is I, as a person who shuffles albums, uh I would say never shuffle an album before you first listen to it all the way through. And it's it, it, the musical just doesn't work. <sighs> Yeah, why would you? And set aside time so it's the only thing you're listening to. Um, so the runtime of this musical and songs is two hours and two minutes. Hmm. It is very similar to Hamilton in that it is mostly sung. Hamilton hmm. is 99% sung. Town is probably 90, 95. Yeah, I've never seen it, so... Yeah, the know. show itself is maybe two and a half hours tops. I did see the bootleg. I need, there's a 
<clears throat> you didn't see anything. <laughs> yeah. You may or may not have seen. But I would recommend listening to the Broadway recording before you listen to the bootleg because the sound is really low quality and, and it's, it's like a phone in a bag. So it's just. When it comes to your area, go see it. It is not my favorite musical. Um, one day we'll hopefully do Come From Away, which is, I think, it's my favorite musical. It's not the musical I've seen the most times, even though I've seen it twice. But ah, anyways, um, Hadestown, it's a mu- musical you will feel. You'll feel it. Um, and I have to be honest, one of the reasons we did um, – why do we build the wall uh, or why we build the wall is uh, because I think I've clarified to Hunter how much of a fanboy I am of Hades. Um, <laughs> Patrick Page. Oh, is the singer. So he's a singer. In, so Patrick Page is a singer of the original cast recording. I had the chance to listen to um, Matthew Patrick Quinn hmm. sing it. Um, Ooh, Hunter, I'm showing you his picture right here. It's a middle guy. Okay. Um, he's like this, uh, he's like six foot three. Um, and he just commanded the stage. Mm. And Hades sings with a bass voice, not like a baritone, like a true bass voice, which is why my voice doesn't really give it full justice. I can do some of it, but not quite. Um, mm. And I believe that. Just like every room has its resonating frequency, so do souls. Mm. Um, so if you're ever in a bathroom and you go, you can find that sound where everything goes, starts rattling. goes, um, Maybe it's just me that does that. Um, I, I don't do it with other people around because uh, that would ruin people dampen sound. Um mm. I think that a true bass voice finds a resonating frequency in people's souls. Hmm. So there are points when he sings, um, when I was hearing Matthew Patrick Quinn sing and, and you know, the original recording as well. Yes. Yes. Definitely that uh, with Patrick page that my body was just like, hmm. Melanie was like, yo, like, I think you might leave me for this for Hades. <laughs> I was like, no, I would never do that. He would never want me. Um, and he would probably talk instead of singing all the time. So um, I just, it. Did, did you feel that way as well? Do you feel that way? I felt that way about Andre de Shields. That man, he plays Hermes uh, in the original Broadway mm. cast. He just, for me, he is the one true Hermes of Hades Town. Like he just brings so much class and so much um, just like a sense of history. And he ties just I don't know the one. He's the one and only Andre mm. De Shields. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Sorry, I just was just looking him up just as a like he's yeah. He is not the. He doesn't have a classically good singing voice, uh, but he, he has kind of like a, a jazz voice, um, which works so well, uh, well with Hadestown. 
and this show is is jazz. It is gospel. It is like New Orleans folk jazz. What do you yeah. say? Like New Orleans uh, funeral <laughs> march mm-hmm. dirge. You know, dirge. Th- yeah. It opens with a trombone. Yeah, that was a terrible rendition of it. <laughs> and and the show. It doesn't just open with the sound of the trombone player. The trombone player is actually in the middle of the show, the stage, playing it. Um, and there are two points in the show where the trombone player isn't just sitting on the stage as one of the member of the pit, but actually walks to the front and opens the show. And yeah. for our show, um, and actually during the during the musical itself, there is a point where um, Persephone calls out the names of the musicians. Oh yeah. Which is amazing. Crack um, in the wall. Breaking yeah. the fourth wall with yeah. the line. There's a crack in the wall. <laughs> so amazing. Um, mm-hmm. Emily Fredrickson played the trombone and glockenspiel in our recording. Um, and mm-hmm. when I saw it, there was a female trombone player and it was amazing. I, uh, one of my goals in life is to have a daughter solely so that I can, um, raise a female um, bass player and or um, musician wow. um, because there aren't enough hmm. honestly especially playing the instruments that are actually matter um, you know the bass um, a lot of the lower uh, lower tone instruments what, what instruments don't matter or maybe we shouldn't we shouldn't get into that don't want to make enemies Flautist. Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I played in a flute choir before. Did I tell you that? Really? I played wow. the double bass in a flute choir. It was like wow. seven flautists in me. It was, play the bass and you can play anything. <laughs> I played in a flute choir. Yeah. With the bass. Um, she was... She, she, yeah. Okay. Hunter. Let us talk about some of the different roles in this show. Because it w- I was unclear to me when I was listening through the, sh- the show, kind of what was happening. And I will say that this is my own terminology for this. I think when it comes to whenever I hear people sing for a musical, I am voice blind. Hmm. Um, and by that, I mean, um, by that, I do not mean that I can't tell a good voice. Um, I have a lot of musical experience. What I do mean is that I cannot tell voices apart. So this happened to me with, with Hamilton, the musical. Loved the, loved the music, continually loved it, right? I listened to it so many times. And then I watched it and I was like, oh, that's when Aaron Burr is singing. That's when Hamilton is singing. <laughs> Clearly different voices. Clearly different actors. <clears throat> Clearly mm. different roles. But it wasn't until I visually saw them that I was able to parse in my mind when I was listening to them without seeing them who was doing yeah. what. And because the it's it's challenging with shows that are primarily singing – um, you don't get the same chance to like 
almost hear the relationships develop because it's just done through song. And it's just a different, like sometimes dialogue is a lot more helpful to be like, oh, okay, this other, that's what distinguishes these characters. Um, and so that matters with the show because there are two different love stories that are happening in this show. Um, I came into it just thinking about Eurydice and Orpheus, like that that was the primary relationship in the show. But that's not, I mean, I, it's maybe slightly more important. It's the one that pers- drives the plot. Yeah. But it's, is it, I don't know if it's ultimately more important. Uh, yeah. It drives a plot. The other one is Persephone and Hades, mm-hmm. which is what causes the conflict um, and necessitates yeah. the show. Yeah. And and in addition to the those four, there are only three other characters or groups of characters. There's Hermes, who we've already mentioned. There are the Fates, who are a combination of three, um, at least in the recording, I, you know, what I experienced with three women um, who sing together, um, who yeah. we could talk about the Fates in just a moment. And then the last is the Chorus. Those are the only characters in the whole show and the chorus does everything like this is a show where the chorus has as much if not more work than any (laughs) of the other characters yeah the hardest working chorus in the god's almighty world the god yeah hunter can you tell us about the fates yeah, so the Fates, uh, <clears throat> they're uh, Anais Mitchell in, in the NPR Tiny Desk video. She she called them like like the voices in the back of your head, and Hermes says they're always singing in the back of your mind. Um, <clears throat> in the lyrics, they're kind of personified as three women in the show, uh, and they come in at certain points to push characters towards certain decisions so when orpheus is walking through the underworld they are the voice of doubt um they Mm -hmm. ask him who are you you know who are you to lead her who's eurydice who are you to lead the people that were trapped in the underground out um and when hades is trying to decide what to do with orpheus the fates are also present there uh, and they give him the advice, uh, give a man a rope and he'll hang himself. Mm-hmm. And so hey, that's how Hades resolves this deal because he's in a tight spot because if he lets Orpheus go, then it, you know he'll lose his quote unquote authority in Hades town as he'll be seen as a weak king. Uh, if he makes him stay, he'll be seen as a cruel king because Orpheus' song does change Hades's heart and sort of, and mm-hmm. um, so that's and so they help him come up with that uh, solution to Orpheus. So they're sort of, you know, they're they're the voices in the back of your mind, um, and like one of my favorite lines in the song of all time is is, is spoken by Hermes. Andre de Shields, my one true Hermes. Um, 
<laughs> and it's at the beginning of Wait for Me reprise uh, where he says, the meanest dog you'll ever meet. He ain't the hound dog in the street. Mm. He bears some teeth and tears some skin. But brother, that's the worst of him. The dog you really got to dread is the one that howls inside your mind. It's him whose howling drives men mad and a mind to its undoing. Wait for me. I'm coming. And it's just, it's just an epic yeah. song. Honestly, the reprise of Wait For Me is better than the original. I think. I, I just mm. I think Wait For Me kind of it it doesn't hit as big as I thought think it should every time I listen to it. But the reprise hits me more. I think it's supposed to. I think Wait For Me sets up the reprise. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. Usually when I think of a show though that does reprises, mm. this is this is like my sound of music theory. Yeah. Um which is kind of funny, but Based on the movie, The Sound of Music. Um, so it's not a music theory statement, it's a sound of music theory. Um, that reprises are used because uh, composers ran out of songs. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. And often reprises aren't as good as the original. And you're like, okay, the second act of a show like has maybe more of the plot elements, but like maybe missing on some of the bigger mm. numbers. But that is not the case here. And it's not the case of this reprise at all. And it's not the case of... Like they have the same song, Epic. Yeah, they call it Epic 1, 2, and 3. It's done three times. And each time it becomes bigger and bigger and bigger. And it's there is so much repetition in yeah. the show. Hermes, Road to Hell reprise also. Kind of mm-hmm. That's true. You know, way down to Hades. So, yeah, there are m- multiple reprises. Um, and... Um, repetition is used by Hermes specifically to emphasize points. And so Orpheus was a young boy, you know, um, or, you know, or Eurydice was a hungry young girl. Um, And it just continually is brought up. And every time he brings it up, it's re it's done in a way that's almost reshaping what it means. Mm. That is, it gets so purposely done. And I wish I could think of a great example of it. Come home with me is, mm-hmm. uh, is one example, minor example, I guess. But when, when Orpheus first sees Eurydice, <laughs> uh, Andre de Shields says, uh, he, Hermes gives some advice, advice to Orpheus when he wants to go talk to Eurydice, and he's like, "Orpheus, don't come on too strong." And then Orpheus goes up to Eurydice, and he's like, "Come home with me." It's <laughs> like, "Who are you? The man who's gonna marry you?" He's gonna marry you. <laughs> uh, and his name is like a melody. Yeah, but then later, when Orpheus arrives in the underworld and he finds Eurydice, he says, "Come home with me." Yes, I have listened to this musical a lot, (laughs) over (laughs) and over and over. Just uh, I can't get over it. I mean, like, I I mean, I'll I'll go through periods and listen to it a bunch, and then I'll stop, 
and then I'll pick it up again and it'll be, it'll hit me just as hard. Like I was listening to it earlier today, making dinner, uh, and I was crying. Mm. Any particular song that gets you? Oh, um, I mean, wait for me reprise pretty much always. Mm-hmm. Um, uh. This time around, I think I was reflecting a lot on Orpheus as a character. Okay. Because he's, and why I feel so much um, affinity for Orpheus. (laughs) Um, Mm. Because, you know, he's kind of awkward. He's a poet. He's sort of, um, he's very naive, uh, you know, as Hermes says, naive about the ways of the world. Um, whereas Eurydice is kind of the opposite. She's very worldly wise. And, you know, Hermes at the end, he says, Orpheus is, is gift is, you know, he says he could make you see the way the world could Mm -hmm. be in spite of the way that it is. And, I don't know. I th- like when I sit down to write, I can't just shut out everything that's going on in the world. Um, and I'm not saying I'm a, I'm a great artist. Like, like Orpheus is, I'm not the son of a muse, but, um, <laughs> uh, there's always the question of like, why, you know, why, what's the point of even writing or singing or, you know, doing art, any of it really. Um, And you know the the point is is that there's more and there's hope and uh, art is a way to express that and and I, I identify a lot with Orpheus's struggle as as someone who's kind of like kind of awkward. <laughs> Uh, sometimes kind of an outsider, um, and, and doing, spending time doing things that just seem very frivolous and to a lot of other people. Uh, and, and, you know, and yet he is, he is Orpheus. He's, um, he's the one who sings the song that fixes what's wrong. And yet he's incredibly flawed. Uh, he makes this huge mistake, um, that I think speaks to the uh, human nature. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I, yeah. I'm not mad at Orpheus. Um, and I think the repetition that's most powerful in this show is the road to hell. Hmm. Because it's called a reprise, a reprise in the this the bill, the playbill, but it's not. Yeah, it is the same, and maybe I'm just reading the show wrong. Uh, and Orpheus makes more mistakes than I, <laughs> or more purposeful mistakes than I realize, but. And I was just reading through a little bit of your your essay. 
um, which I'm sorry I hadn't read fully before we met. It's okay. Um, um, his naivety, na- naivete, is what makes him attractive to Eurydice and what makes him who he is. Mm-hmm. But it's also way more complex than that, and what you've just been hitting on. Yeah, yeah it, I think it's interesting. Like one of the things I discovered when I was writing the essay was how Eurydice kind of quizzes Orpheus. The whole song, the wedding song, Eurydice is quizzing Orpheus on how he's going to provide. Tell me if you're able. <laughs> who's going to set the wedding table? To- Times being what they are, hard and getting harder all the yeah. time. Uh, you know, she asks him about the wedding bands, uh, the bed, the table, um, all these sort of material things. She asks him how Orpheus is going to provide this because she seems, I guess, kind of intrigued by Orpheus, but he's incredibly naive. And Eurydice is someone who, who goes with the wind. She, um, you know, she turns her collar to the wind. She's had a hard life. And she knows how hard it can be to survive. Um, and Orpheus is a poet and seems not to know at all how to survive out in the world. Um, and he sort of wins her over by kind of, by a, the thing that wins her over is Orpheus showing her his song and providing this proof uh, when, the, when he sings la, 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 la. Um, mm-hmm. the flower, pulls out the, yeah, the flower blooms, yeah. um, which I didn't get for a while because I'd only listened to it. And then I, then I saw <laughs> yep. a recording and I was like, Oh, okay. Um, and so she sees this proof of, of what his song can do. And that's kind of what, uh, that's the turning point for her into accepting Orpheus, uh, in spite of herself. Do you think Eurydice is angry at Orpheus when he turns back? It's hard to tell. I mean, because there's not much, like you you, you hear that moment in the show is, and and the, is just, uh, like the the whole thing is building with the music, mm-hmm. and when Orpheus looks back, it just stops, and you just hear, <gasps> "Yep." And that's like the only reaction you get it's from Eurydice. At least that's as far as I remember. But no. he turns back and says, "It's you." Yeah. She looks at him and says, "It's me." Yeah. And then the she's closed yeah. out. I couldn't see that. So I could I could see him, but where I was sitting, I couldn't see that yeah. moment. And I think it took something away from me as mm-hmm. a as I'm experiencing yeah, it. Because uh, I didn't feel the same level of tension that I know the scene was conveying yeah. to the room. I almost felt like the, the tension should have built for another mm. minute. Um. In the Broadway, she sinks into the floor. Oh, really? Yeah, they have a sinking floor. That's amazing. Yeah. 
So I, I I don't know if I would say she's angry. I think she's just sad. Um, I so the I only, don't even sorry sorry the the only other thing I remember that you get from Eurydice after that moment is is when the road to hell reprise sort of um, turns the corner and she, you hear Eurydice say, "Has anybody got a match?" Mm-hmm. Which means she's in the underworld and she's looking for a match. For some reason, looking. No, that's why. That's how the whole thing. That's how the original Road to Hell starts. It's she does. It, it repeats the beginning of the show. She has that at the very beginning of the show too. Oh, it's it's the exact same song. And I'm fairly certain it's a hundred percent the same. It's. I don't know if it's exactly the same, but well, because they do all the intros for the characters, right? They do the fa- everybody meet the fates and the original Road to Hell is twelve seconds longer than the reprise. So you're right; there are a couple introduction, different pieces, but it is almost the exact same song. That's why I don't wouldn't consider a reprise as much as. A repeat, like, mm-hmm. which I know is kind of what a reprise is, means. But usually, mm-hmm. when you talk about a reprise, you're talking about a different, like a different form of the same song versus the same song acted out the same way. And I have to be honest; I saw it at the end, and the, the whole idea of the show is that maybe it's different this time. We sing it again because maybe it will be different, mm. and that's actually where I just hear a larger statement about the world we keep going on because maybe this time things will be different um and we can get into what is one of my favorite songs which i know that um oh my goodness what is the name of who, the woman uh the um anais 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 is how anais. she pronounces it okay i know that anais mitchell wrote this song Many years before uh, the um, MAGA, yeah, uh, the the time of the the conversation on the U.S. Mexico border being what it is now, um, but this whole show, I think, is asking that question of: Will anything really change in our world, in our country? Like the feel you brought up of of like the 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 Dust Bowl Depression era people um, who are directly contrasted by the industrial um, gleaming that is Hades, um, and there's this question of you know we're going to keep doing it like you know but is going to be different. This, I just think about that question of, like, or that statement of those who don't know history are doomed to repeat it. Mm-hmm. Um, and this question of, will the future change? <laughs> yeah. If we keep doing the same things. Um, but like watching the show, I was like, yeah, it's going to be different this time. Like I want to see it like, start it up again. Like just keep going. Yeah. Even though I know it's not, 
Like <laughs> I know it can be. Mm-hmm. And and so to answer my own question to you, sorry, I just want to answer it before I kind <laughs> of get so far past it that it's not even worth it. I, in experiencing that scene, when Orpheus looks back and Eurydice says, it's you or it's me. Um, I experienced, maybe I'm trying to think about this in terms of my own life, love. I, I don't think there was anger. I don't think there was sadness. Maybe they both existed at some deep level. But like not as like driving thoughts. Hmm. I think in that moment, there's just a moment of love. Hmm. And yes, loss. But love. And that to me is is the power of, of honestly, a marriage. Um, and of this like level of, of depth in relationship. It has nothing to do with how much of the person messes up. It has entirely to do with your love for them. And and there have only been a few times in my life that I can like really remember like this um um this level of love. Yeah. I well there's the song um promises. After um, Orpheus and you're, after Orpheus uh, sings to Hades and they get they are allowed to leave, um, or I guess they're thinking about leaving or something. Everything's changing because yeah. of this the song. Uh, Orpheus and Eurydice have a moment where they they sort of mention the the wedding song uh, Orpheus says I have no ring for your finger I have no banquet table to lay I have no better feathers whatever promises I made I can't promise you fair sky above can't promise you kind road below but I'll walk beside you love any way the wind blows which is a reference to Eurydice's song in the beginning um and Eurydice says, I don't need gold, don't need silver. Just bread when I'm hungry, fire when I'm cold. Don't need a ring for my finger, just need a steady hand to hold. Don't promise me fair sky above, don't promise me kind road below. Just walk beside me, love, any way the wind blows. Yeah. In sickness or in health. <laughs> Yeah, that's 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 what love yeah. is. And yet, Orpheus looks back. Do you have any other characters you want to highlight before we? Go Can we on highlight to- Hades? Can we just talk about Hades? So I will say that for me, Hades is the shining part of this, this, this show. Um, in talking with other friends uh, who love this show, um, I was opened up to the, the fates who we've already discussed. 
Um, but the fates, every time they sing, they sing together. And so th- the idea is that they're this voice in the back of your head, but they're, they're, they're always harmonizing together and there's dissonance and there's mm-hmm. resolution. And it's like all used to like warp you to think a certain way and like pull you. I'm like, mm. the, 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 the thing I'm thinking of is when somebody's like got like a, like a puppet with a string attached <laughs> to the head, maybe it's not pulling it all the way, but it's like, you know, you've said the word nudge earlier. Um, but I think that, um, my wife's favorite, they were my wife's favorite. And then I also want to bring up, cause we haven't spent nearly enough time talking about Persephone. That's who I was gonna. Okay. Mention. Okay. So, so we're, we're moving towards Persephone and Hades, um, which I love. Um, there is one other piece that I'm going to talk about. I want to say about Orpheus because I didn't realize this when I was listening to it. Because I, I, when I listen to it, especially um, the early songs with Orpheus as he's communicating with, with Eurydice, some come home with me, and, and I think wedding songs as well, but come home, come home with me. There are a few points where like it feels like his voice just like expands. Hmm. Um, Your name is like a melody, but like it feels like right. it doesn't sound yeah. like one voice. And I thought it was like some type of added you know post post whatever you know, post production sound but in the show the the choir or the the um yeah the choir is is that the right word the the chorus like members mm. of the chorus are actually like standing behind him singing mm. those pieces so my name is orpheus you know i'm eurydice and then he says your name is like a and then with the like melody. a melody, there's there's a yeah. Like a melody, like a melody, you know, and it. I, I don't know if I've experienced that before. Mm. Um, using extra voices to highlight somebody singing, like specific words within that level of like one-on-one communication. I, I mean, obviously, great music does this all the time. It's not a unique thing. You know, the bass and the cello and the viola will mm-hmm. back up something the violin's doing, and then, you know, you'll, you'll hear the bassoon come in with you, know, whatever. Um, but I just, it felt like there was like an extra, like his, it was a great way of communicating the impact that his words have um, through yeah. his own um, mastering of, of, of song and being the, the son of a muse. The music is incredible. It's just, I think I listened to it about five times the first time just for the music. Uh, and then like the story just kind of sunk into me too after the next five times. <laughs> but uh, can I talk about Persephone? Please let's talk about Persephone. Oh, Persephone. <laughs> she's so much fun. <laughs> she, she's she's coded as uh, an alcoholic. <laughs> well, actually, uh-huh. more than coded. Like it's right in the lyrics. She's more than more than alcoholic. Give me some uh, something from the fruit of the vine. Uh, it takes a lot of medicine to keep me through the winter time when she's going back to Hades Town. Um, Mm-hmm. But uh, in the original cast, she's played by uh, Amber Gray, um, who 
is also in one of my other favorite musicals, which is Natasha Pierre and the Great Comet of 1812, mm-hmm. which I hope we will talk about one day. Yes. Um, but uh, she plays Persephone in this, and she gives so much, um, like so much characterization. Amber Gray's amazing. And also the actor, I watched another recording. Um, I don't know if Amber Gray's still on Broadway, but um, as as Persephone, but there was another one, and, and she was phenomenal as well. Um, we had Lana but- Gordon. Just oh, okay. for ours. And she was amazing. Like amazing. Like might have I mean Midas Hades stole the show. Mm. Like, like actual yeah. full body chills in the second act as she was singing. Oh, the the song that opens up, I think it it just like it's just this turning point in the musical uh where you realize uh, they say a lot can happen behind closed doors uh, mm. when the foreman uh, exits the factory floor. And <laughs> um turns out that Persephone has been running kind of like a speakeasy uh, in Hades. Um, yep. <laughs> and it's, it's really wonderful. They, they talk about, she, she gives, she asks them if she, if they want like, um, Spring flowers, autumn leaves. Spring flowers, autumn leaves. Um, what's on tap at the bar? It's like uh, I'm looking it up right now. Oh, the wind right here in a jar. I got the rain on tap of the bar. I got sunshine up on my shelf. Allow me to introduce myself, brother. What's my name? My name is Our Lady of the Underground. Yeah, Our Lady of the Upside Down. And she really steals the show. Um, mm right there uh, in the the rendition i saw of this the the actor who played hermes this directly ties in was nathan lee graham look him up you've seen him he's in hitch the movie he's like he's an actor you've seen like he was very good as hermes but he didn't steal the show Mm-hmm. It felt like I was watching an actor acting as Hermes rather than being Hermes. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, he didn't take away from anything. He just didn't, you know, I just watched Aladdin live mm-hmm. and the actor who played the genie, there, there, there might not as well not have been anybody else in the show. He was so good that just, Everything else paled. Mm. Like, it, it didn't matter. Um, and in this Hades town, if if Hermes is that character, then you know it's so hard to shine as bright. Um, and so in ours, um, uh, Persephone was just is that much brighter because there wasn't this huge burning, you know, burning sun that was Hermes taking over the entire sky. <laughs> To begin the show. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's the thing with Hermes though, and I wanted to say this about uh you know, Andre de Shields and Hermes and why I love him so much. <laughs> Maybe it's a little bit out of control, but I just I love Andre de Shields as Hermes. 
can't say it enough, but <laughs> I think part of the reason is because he, as a character, he is your guide. Yes. Um, and I was thinking about this while I was listening to it this past week, week and a half or so, um, is about how Hermes is kind of like having a groundhog day because Hermes <laughs> at the beginning, you know, he says it's a sad song. It's a sad tale. It's a tragedy. Um, and we're going to sing it even so. And her, so Hermes knows what's going to happen. He's done all of this before. And mm-hmm. I can't help like when Andre de Shields is singing or like I watched some of the recordings and saw him acting like Maybe I'm projecting probably a bit, <laughs> but I can almost feel like Hermes knows what's going to happen. Like he's done all of this before. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You know? And so, so when that moment comes, when Orpheus looks back, it's just Hermes standing over Orpheus. And like when Andre de Shields just says, he's really quiet for a long time, just looking at Orpheus. And then he goes, I and that just that uh, the way he says I, I don't know. It just gives me so much. I just feel it. Um, but, you know, forget uh, Mark Twain or Dickens or whoever, Morgan Freeman. If I'm going to pick someone to narrate my life, it's going to be Andre de Shields as Hermes. Because <laughs> he's just, he's such a know. guiding presence. And, I would pick uh, Hades. <laughs> all right well look there goes eric it's a sad song <laughs> <laughs> but i did i derailed us thank you for sharing that hunter um i derailed us from persephone who i want us we need to be focusing on right now. yeah <clears throat> i remember this is the sort of tangent that are that we're known for, I think. But I remember when I was um, in elementary school, uh, I went to a really glad I went there. A very um, kind of unique private school in Vermont. Uh, very small classes, but we would do, do a play every you know every year, uh, and we did. Um, Oof, man, I can't remember. It was one that had um, Hades and Persephone. It was uh, the stories of Hades and Persephone. Hmm. And that was my, that's like my first memory of the myth of Hades and Persephone. Um, And and Hades just kind of takes Persephone. In the myth, there's, you know, Persephone doesn't have much agency. She is, uh, you know, Hades just takes her. I guess they don't say exactly how it happens, but he decides that he wants to have her as his wife, and he he does. And so I think one of the great things about Hades Town and Persephone is that they give Persephone so much characterization and so much. They show her having power over Hades. Um, and them having a back and forth relationship with it, which I think is really, really cool. Yeah. And that's the other love story in this show 
is maybe what started as a one-way relationship um ultimately Orpheus's song brings Hades back into the line of remembering what his relationship with Persephone looked like when it began. And there's this parallel, a very overt parallel, <laughs> that wasn't overt to me until I watched the show, of their relationships. I mean, it's actually sung. Um, <laughs> the song Epic, like especially... Mm-hmm. Is the song about how uh, Persephone and Hades met, and Hades didn't have words to sing when he met her, and so he just yeah. sang the the sounds, the la 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 that you have so mm-hmm. beautifully heard us both portray uh, <laughs> in this, this, this show, this episode, podcast, whatever, whatever as we do, um, and it's. It hits home for Hades in a way that nothing else does. Uh, it and it allows him to re-evaluate his sight of Persephone and the kind of the show. Their relationship in in the show ends with, okay, we'll see what what comes of this in another six months. Because Persephone is saying, "Hey, you need to give me my time," like. Mm-hmm. The arrangement is that I spend six months a year in Hades with you, and the other six months above, and that's where the seasons come from. And I got the feeling that at some point, Hades had messed up that arrangement. That that it, it was yeah. that at some point that had had actually been the case where it would be six months and six months. And my thinking is that when that was true, Persephone was not an alcoholic, <laughs> uh, but it was as yeah. Hades was forcing more and more control over her that she responded with the power she did have. Mm-hmm. And when she finally said no to him, that's when Eurydice was taken. Right. Um, and then the show goes on. The la la la's are sung. Yeah. And, I think it's interesting because I usually hate love triangle stories. Um, Kim and I were watching uh, Dr. Javago because uh, we started reading it. There's a love triangle in that. It's very it's Dr. Javago, whatever. Um, fine movie. Never heard of it. <laughs> well, it's it's a love triangle. Well, not exactly a love triangle. It's very complicated. But I usually sure. I usually hate stories where it's all about you know people cheating on each other and that kind of thing. I just I just absolutely hate it. Uh, whether or not it's realistic, or I just I just don't I don't like it. I don't. It's uncomfortable. Uh, but and this sort of happens in Hades Town uh, with Eurydice and Hades. Um, it's not exactly in the text, but it's kind of like subtext, um, more or less. It's but so obvious. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's very clear subtext. Um, but I didn't, I didn't hate it. And I, I'm not sure that's partly because it's the story. I think because it, it's the myth. Um, and I think it's also the way it's presented um, in, in the song. Cause it's not just like Eurydice is going and, and cheating on Orpheus. It's like, you know, Orpheus has been ignoring Eurydice and working on his song. And also Eurydice is dying. Like, <laughs> um, this show does a very, by the end of the show, I found myself rooting for Hades. I could tell. <laughs> But I feel like that's what the show's trying to do. Mm-hmm. And he is not a likable character. And he does things that are absolutely abysmal and atrocious. Not only toward Eurydice, um, because she has, I think, very little agency um, in the Songbird song. Um, but also towards everybody else who, quote unquote, willingly chose to be in Hades Town. Everything in Hades Town, I own. Yeah. Um, but by then you're like, you're seeing his character develop, and you're like, oh, maybe, maybe he will change. You know, and and you know, even though the relationship of Eurydice and and Orpheus is over, in the sense that they won't ever be together, maybe the relationship of Persephone and Hades will grow or regrow, yeah. and that's what we have to cheer for, <laughs> right? That's that's there's nothing yeah. else to cheer for. Yeah, I. I think we take for granted how familiar we are with like Greek myths. Uh, mm-hmm. Like um, they're in all in our video games and um, we learn about them in school, of course, but there's also tons of young adult novels about the gods and, and uh, just so much content. <laughs> we know so much about the gods Um and, you know, maybe we interact with them in a very, in a way that's not dissimilar from the way that the ancient Greeks interacted with them in the, in the way that we sort of tell stories about them and stuff. Although I think the ancient Greeks probably had a little more skin in the game than we do. But anyway, I think this, the, the musical and the myth kind of, goes to show like the power of myth and the way that gods like the Greeks, like a pantheon are not really gods so much as they're kind of like reflections of, of parts of us. Um, and uh, you know, that's also true for characters in a story, but I think in particular here, like Anais Mitchell does use 
imagery of the devil for Hades uh, in, in her songs. <clears throat> uh, and, and that's definitely an undercurrent. But Hades is not the devil. He, he's, um, he's his own character. He's a person. He has feelings and um, emotions uh, that are, you know, he, he can love. Not that the devil can't love, but, you know, it's. He can love to, somebody that's not himself. Right. Yeah. Um, and I don't know. When I think about Hades, I think about, you know, the struggle of being in in a relationship and forgetting what's important um, because I'm, it's easy. It's, it's easy to do, uh, easier than you might think, but it is so important to remember, uh, remember what started the relationship and what, what's really important. And that's a struggle that, that Hades goes through where is the treasure inside of your chest says orpheus yeah can we now talk more about hades yes yeah we're already talking about hades i know i know i just wanted to be allowed to open the floodgate yes um everybody in this show He's wearing kind of depression era style clothing or like colored clothing while it's kind of maybe more modern styled, I guess, but like depression era feel. Mm-hmm. Um, and then minus Persephone, who's bright greens, you know, bright yellows, you know, bright colors. And then from the very beginning of the show, you see Hades and he spends most of the first act just sitting on a balcony overlooking the show. Um, of course, minus Hermes as well. Hermes is also dressed in a suit. Um, or, um, Hades is wearing a double breasted pinstripe suit that is bedazzled. <laughs> so when you're watching him, the light, he actually shines. And I've been looking up um, pictures and videos of Patrick Page um, in Hadestown. Mm. And he already is, has, you know, is, is fully grayed um, or silvered. I don't know what the right wording is. <laughs> uh, in my rendition... Um, uh, Matthew Patrick Quinn, who plays Hades, has not grade as a person, and so instead they give him a little bit of like white in his beard. Um, at least when I saw it, and he looks terrifying. 
like actually like I'm scared of him. <laughs> um, and he sings with this. Let me just drop a little bit of a, a picture. The, the the very last one in this this grouping of pictures, Hunter. Um, you can see what he looks like, and like when he's singing. Um, and I was about as close as this picture was taken from him, um, or felt like I was. And <laughs> right, he looks terrifying, right? Mm. Yeah. Because he just commanded the stage. And the song that you most feel that is Why We Build the Wall. Yeah. It's the last song in the first act. And while it was written in 2006, um, and that has been clearly uh, communicated by Anais Mitchell, mm-hmm. um, it speaks so perfectly into our political climate as a language of, I, I mean, I read it, I think it's, it feels to me overtly to be saying, like, from a the, the view of the devil, which we've already talked about how Hades is not the devil, but he also is definitely that is. he also <laughs> is from the view of the devil. Why we build a wall to keep other people out. We build a wall ultimately because they envy the wall. And what mm-hmm. keeps us free is this thing that we're building that we will never stop building and this war that will forever go on. And it's so clear that that's not freedom. Right. Well, I think the interesting thing is, is that I think it's, I'm not saying it's a wrong interpretation. I think it's definitely a valid one. Um, but also if you think about the context of, of what she was writing about, she was writing about like the depression when uh, they were doing uh, a lot of work projects and stuff to give people work, to give them wages. So mm-hmm. in one sense, like building a wall uh, is like, you know, building, was it the golden gate bridge or um, was that built during the new deal? Uh, I just think of uh, FDR so, with all the Hoover dams. It was not Hoover dam. No, but I'm, my history is pretty spotty, but there were work projects to, to help with the depression to give people jobs. And so that's the angle that I think it, where it was written from, not that it's not a wrong interpretation of what you're saying. Cause I think it is too. Well, and, and this um, is, when did the art come out? Like, what is the climate? What, what, what was meant versus what is heard can be very different. True. When we've had this conversation early on in our show, <laughs> about once art is released into the world, like who holds control over it and whose voice yeah. matters. And I've, I've shared that my view is the artist's original artist's voice matters as much as other views. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't think it counts as the authoritative view even. 
I think even Anais Mitchell was saying this does not. I'm not singing about the U.S.-Mexico border. Like I, I don't saying that that I don't think it matters. Like in, in a real essence of like, what is the show communicating to the 1,500 people, 2,000 people that are seeing it each time it's portrayed? You know, it's done. Like, what are they hearing? Mm-hmm. You know, what is the Because it's, while it feels like the show doesn't feel like it's entirely set during the depression. Mm. It has the feel that some of it is. Don't ask why, don't ask when either. Mm -hmm. Like if it's, if it was a language of like this entire thing is set in the 1930s, you know, or 1940s (laughs) post-war and they're talking about a wall, like, Okay, like we need to think about what was what it meant there, mm-hmm. um, and then maybe we're related to now. But the timing's you know, obscured, and the timing in which it was really made it big, yeah, was a very specific. I mean, it went game on Broadway in not twenty nineteen. Well. Do you remember when uh, the movie The Two Towers came out? Mm-hmm. And the sort of uh, controversy about, quote-unquote controversy, because it came out shortly, not too long after uh, The Two Towers were uh, the World Trade Center and the yeah, oh, this. Okay. I think I know where you're going with this. Go, keep going. Tolkien wrote The Two Towers in 1940, 40 something, right? Uh, when I come out like this, he, he had no idea what was going to happen. Mm-hmm. Do you think when they were releasing the movie, <laughs> do, do you think they have any responsibility to? change the title or make a statement or. So they actually did Um, not with the two towers, but with return of the King, they originally (laughs) planned for the tower to um, collapse in on itself straight down. But instead they visually changed the way that the tower fell. um, The the eye fell um, so that it wouldn't be reminiscent of the World Trade Centers. Um, Interesting. Uh, one of the questions, one of the things that I was hearing what you were saying, which isn't the question you asked, is what about us watching the Two Towers today? Right. You know, like now that we're out of that, maybe maybe we're bad examples because that will always be in our mind of kind of we're thinking about when it came out and because we it came out in our lifetime and it was it, you know influential in both of our lives mm-hmm. you know it's the best best of the trilogy best of the lord of the rings um two towers oh yeah mm. Ooh, future episode uh but anyway <laughs> um but fellowship <clears throat> fellowship interesting most people say return of the king they won the most awards fellowship but two towers you're right i am Two towers. Fellowship. <laughs> um, 
when let's think, I don't know, fifty years from now, when Hades Town is, let's hope it's remembered. Um, will it be remembered? Will that song throw up the same conversation? Mm. Um, maybe, maybe not. Um, some musicals, when they've kind of come back and like new tours, they they'll change the set design. They'll modernize wardrobes. They'll sometimes even change some of the words to make it more palatable or um, adaptable to a modern um, modern um, audience. I, I don't know. I, I, I think the, the, this song, usually, honestly, um, the songs that usually hit me the most in, in musicals and in albums are the power ballads. Mm. And and this isn't really a power ballad, right? It's it's not. Um, no, and maybe it's slightly because of the work I do that this hits mm. home. The conversations right. I have, um, I I think it's also the power of Hades as a character. And mm-hmm. the intensity, like it is, I it, it hits me as the most intense song. In the, I think it's by I think it's without any. Uh, you know, I, I think it's the most it adds the most intensity um, in the show. Um, I think it also might be the the power of the cast and the chorus in the response, mm. um, because. This song ends with "We build the wall to keep us free," and it's said as a statement. Yeah, and then at the very, you know, you go further down to, I don't even know which part in Act Two. There's a one of the songs ends with "keeps we're free," like mm-hmm. you know, the wall keeps us free, and it's said as a question. Right, and it's again that repetition, but completely subverting it. Uh, the statement. And it's this is where Hades starts, and this is where the people start without any hope. Um, yeah. And as you know, they're doing what they're said told to do, just because that's what they're told to do it. Yeah. They so, stay alive. Well, here's an interpretation, a way that we might be able to marry our interpretations, not of the best Lord of the Rings movie, but. Of the Lord of the Rings, one and a half. (laughs) Timon and Pumbaa bring you. Um, (laughs) Why we build the wall? So, uh, I I would like to mention our next one. We're doing after the Last Border, which is a book that you recommended to me. Um, Yeah, excited. We're going to get into it, and and this song actually. You already touched on it a little bit. Um, After the Last Border is about refugees, uh, and, and we'll talk about it more later. But, you know, if I could try and paraphrase our um, interpretations of this song, you take the interpretation more on the side that it's about 
um, building a wall to keep out the people that are going to take our work uh, and um, keeping out poverty in that way. <laughs> uh, and, and I mentioned the interpretation that it's, um, it's about work projects that keep out the enemy, which is poverty, um, you know, during the, the Great Depression. Um, not necessarily about um, people that might come in and take actual people. But what I noticed, I was trying, I was looking at the lyrics, and he says, you know, who do we call the enemy? Right. And the company says the enemy is poverty and the wall keeps out the enemy and we build the wall to keep us free. And then Hades says his next line after that is because we have and they have not because they want what we have got. He doesn't say who they are. Mm -hmm. He just says they. And the company says because we have and they have not because they want what we have got. The enemy is poverty. But the the enemy is not, you know, poverty is not a they. Like and and this is I think what can connect our interpretations because like one of the things about after the last border is that it gives a nice uh history of like different attitudes in the United States on immigration okay. and and stuff yeah i'm really glad i did actually um, oh, I, I i think it's fascinating it's but really I also helpful know it can get really yeah. intense and confusing yeah but we'll get there um okay. but during the great depression i'm not obviously not a historian but i can imagine that like people were looking for other people to blame and it's really easy to just say they do this they want that they 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 um but who is they Really, and that's, I feel like, you know, it was written in 2006, but like, it's not like this stuff wasn't, you know, everything that came out during the 2016 election, it wasn't new. Like, it was all there. It was just kind of mm -hmm, mm -hmm. bubbling. Um, and I feel like Anais Mitchell is, is probably very aware of that. And that's where I think it comes from. And whether it's intentional or not, I think you could say that Hades throws in because we have and they have not without actually defining who they is as a tool to kind of point at some, some nebulous they person um, as, as a, as a way to kind of keep his power. Can you repeat the main piece of your argument? I'm sorry, I, I, I lost it. My main piece is that um, that Hades, um, he is doing these work projects to keep out poverty. But he also defines a they. A, he, he, he defines an undefined they as kind of a scapegoat to say, um, to justify how, uh, how um, vehemently he holds to the project, to the building, mm -hmm. um, because they, whoever they are, want 
what uh, we have got. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, so that means that this can be interpreted in multiple different times, which the show whole show is about. And so both of our interpretations could be fully valid and accurate to this particular show because we're setting them in two time periods in which the they and the wall look different. Mm. And so I, I don't know if that's as much marrying the two together as kind of giving the the understanding of, and, and this is kind of my entire approach to questions around the wall, <laughs> is the bridge. Uh, what's our mindset? Is it a mindset of walls or is it a bridge? Um, but you're bridging these two two ideas right. or these two interpretations um, across time uh, because the, the setting changes, the time changes, everything changes, but the story is the same. Mm-hmm. And I will say, you left out the final verse. Yeah. What do we have that they should want? My children, my children, what do we have that they should want? What do we, and then their response is, what do we have that they should want? So instead of, and instead of working through their whole piece, like they, um, yeah, where, where they repeat everything that Haiti says, like they, there's a specific break in mm-hmm. the expectation for what the chorus is going to sing, because they don't say, what do we have that they should want? What do we have that they should want? Yeah. They say, what do we have that they should want? And we the whole thing, the with. whole thing that keeps us, separate from them and the whole reason that we build the wall is so that we have the wall to work upon we have work and they have none and our children and our work is never done and like to me like it, it, it works towards both of our right. interpretations and both of them i think point to the uselessness or are, are arguing that the actual building of the wall is the useless endeavor. Mm-hmm. It doesn't do anything. In fact, it creates an us and a them, which is uh, one of the, one of the pieces that, um, people, I think people attribute to Martha Luther, Martin Luther King Jr., but he got it from Martin Buber. Um, and we read this in um, Letter from Birmingham Jail, is mm-hmm. this I-it relationship mm. that we create with an, that I would say we create with an us and them, which his challenge, Martin Buber is kind of writing, was to change it from I-it to I-thou, to me and you. Right. And that's different from us and them. You know, what, what does it mean to them, somebody, you're, to other them, right? To make them less than you. And yeah. this song subverts that statement of us actually having something to protect when we build the wall. Instead, the entire thing that we are, quote unquote, protecting with the wall is our own ability to have a wall. 
Um, maybe somebody would try to say it positive, our ability to have a purpose for what mm. to do with our time, which I would say is an ultimately a useless purpose and one that is destructive. And it's clearly destructive for in this show. Mm. Right? What is it, the one thing that Orpheus does to this wall? He breaks it. Yeah. He breaks it. And uh, Hades has grown so afraid that he'll lose what he owns. But we de- what he doesn't know is that what he's defending is already gone. The show can also be read as broken marriage, beyond repair, finding the beginning of healing. I think that's the power of myth. And this myth in particular, this was written by some Greek... uh, at least a thousand years ago, I think. <laughs> and it's still shaping us. This, I, you know, I don't think I realized it until we talked about it for two hours. Um, <laughs> is I think just, I mean, part of the reason I love it is because it is a myth. And, and, I think that's why I love Tolkien so much too. Um, yeah. And that's what he loved was myth. And these, these stories that are timeless and that we pass down in different one form or another and we interpret them, we tell them in our own way to ourselves and they, they shape us. They get at something that, you can't really get at any other way. Yep. I just looked it up. This was written over over twenty five hundred years ago. <laughs> yeah. The first the first account we have is from five thirty BC. But yes, it, a myth. Speaks then, speaks now, it speaks in multiple cultures, it speaks to the human experience, um, and that doesn't change. <laughs> Humans aren't ultimately that much different than we were 2,500 years ago. Yeah. So I'm curious, the last song, Raise a Cup, did they do that one after the curtain for you? Yes. Yes. Um, That's what I, I read, the, how they did it. Yes. Um, I honestly wasn't... I wasn't expecting it. Um, yeah. Because I don't know if I, how, if I really paid attention to it in my my first listens through it. Um, 
And that was a really cool moment um, to see that brought in. Um, it also was a really cool moment to see, and for me to, by that point, I fully realized that many of the actors were singing while actually playing instruments. Mm. They weren't faking it. So the actor who plays Orpheus is actually playing the guitar. Yeah. It is not faked. <laughs> like, yeah. And that is very challenging to do. I would expect even more so like as an actor in a musical, like where you are the primary, like there's another of the fates. One of them was playing the violin in our, in our, um, when we were watching it and like actually yeah. playing the violin. Another one was playing the, um, accordion. Hmm. Um, and the, um, the director, um, the, the, of the, the pit, um, was sitting on, was sitting playing the piano, also playing the organ or, or um, pipe of uh, the pipe organ, the, um, the accordion and also direct, like conducting, sorry, I called director, conductor, conducting. And he was amazing to watch. Um, and it, we were sitting so close that we could actually, Melanie nudged me at one point and I looked behind me and there was a, there were two TVs mounted to the balcony, um, <laughs> such that if you're in your balcony, it was below you, you couldn't see it. Mm-hmm. Um, with him conducting while sitting on stage <laughs> in the moments when he wasn't playing the piano, yeah, even though it was he was in the piano, he was still conducting. Um, but like actually um, conducting the, the different pieces of it. Uh, and he he was so much fun to to watch. So I I want to give a, a small call, call to Eric Kang, hmm. Kang. Um, Calvin Jones was on the bass, but Eric Kang, the conductor and playing the piano and also the accordion. Um, he played with so much joy. Um, actually, in the second act, they actually sing too. Hmm. The the, the Pit acts as a little bit of a chorus for um, Our Lady of the Underground. <laughs> Hunter, are you going to play us out tonight? Yeah, I might try. I haven't actually practiced this. And like I said, I might just re-record it later to get cleaner sound but just to, just for the because it's such a good song uh, especially for our podcast if Which you one? look at the lyrics um, it's called uh, oh, we, raise our cups. we Raise Our Cups yeah duh okay duh it's, I just changed the strings on my guitar ah I hate changing. I hate doing strings. Like every time I'm like, maybe I can learn to love like caring for my instrument. (laughs) I just hate it. It's just such a chore. And then it's like not in tune for a while. It's just, uh. but but the action you get from playing with new strings 
Yes. Like I almost never change. For example, the only time I will ever change the strings on my bass is when one of them actively breaks, which has happened to me, but only once. I broke an E string on a bass, which is an E string, the thickest string on the bass. Yeah, <laughs> broke it on yeah, E string. Yeah, that's crazy. It was, it was an experience. So I had to play the whole, the the rest of. It was like during church, so I had to play the rest um, with only the three higher strings. Um, But the action you get when you change your strings, it's. I could see how people could get addicted to it and only play with new strings. Yeah. Well. It's not, it's not worth changing the strings. Yeah, well, you to need me, to be doing least. it every day and you need to be getting yeah. paid for it. I use D'Addario XTs. Uh, I've found those last quite a while. But, yeah, I don't know. It's just... All right, I'm going to try and do it. <laughs> I don't know. Let's hear myself. Pour the wine and raise a cup Drink up, brothers, you know how And spill a drop for Orpheus Wherever he is now Some birds sing The sun shines bright Our praise is not for them but the ones who sing in the dead of night, we raise our cups to them. Whoever he is wandering alone upon the earth, let all our singing follow him. And bring him comfort Some flowers bloom Where the green grass grows Our praise is not for them But the ones who bloom In the bitter snow We raise our cups to them We raise our cups and drink them up. We raise them high and drink them dry. To Orpheus and all of us. Good night, brothers. Good night. Good night.